It's scary. I think just the fact that campus is empty and people are leaving just kind of gives this apocalyptic vibe around the atmosphere. Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Louis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. That was UC Berkeley junior Mel Russo. She commented on UC Berkeley's announcement that it would move most of its instruction online in response to the coronavirus. Well, John, this has been an extraordinary week, as many of you listening are well aware of. We've seen closures of schools in unprecedented numbers in California in response to the coronavirus. Some of the state's largest school districts, Los Angeles Unified, San Diego Unified, Long Beach Unified, entire counties have shut down all their schools, like Santa Clara County, Orange County, many schools in Los Angeles County, even Placer County. Literally millions of students will be out of school next week. And have a confession to make. We had already recorded this podcast a few days ago, looking at why schools hadn't closed to any great extent. But uh, the last few days, events have overtaken us and, in fact, outpaced our ability to report on what's happening. And so we've kind of revised this podcast. But you'll have to wait another week until we're able to look more deeply at the impact of all these closures. This week, we decided to look ahead about another big question surrounding all the colleges and universities that uh, say they're going to go online and offer instruction to students off campus. A big question is the extent to which they are equipped to offer online instruction. To help answer that question, we're pleased to have with us Ashley Smith. She's our reporter who's been looking at this issue. Welcome, Ashley. Hi, Lewis. So, Ashley, give us a sense of how prepared you think colleges are to handle this responsibility that they're taking on. For the most part, the colleges and universities are better prepared than, say, the K-12 school districts at moving their classes online. The larger problem is that not all of their instructors and professors are prepared for this transition. And so they've been spending the last few days and will spend this upcoming week preparing their instructors and training them on how to offer their classes online. Can you give us some idea as to how they actually are planning to offer these classes? Do most of them already have systems in place to do this? Yeah, most of the larger uh, public universities and colleges, even the community colleges already have online classes. So they have a system in place to offer these courses. But when it comes to just making an abrupt move from an in-person class to online, that could mean training their faculty to use teleconferencing or Zoom. It could mean trying to encourage social media or online messaging so that professors and students are able to communicate outside of the classroom. Or it could mean putting assignments and exams onto their online learning management systems, which is the traditional way that they would deliver an online class. Now, you also talked to some students about this. Uh, how are they feeling about this? Did you get any sense? The students that I've talked to sort of had a mixed reaction. A lot of them are very pleased to see that their campuses have been proactive about the virus, about this pandemic, and are expressing that they're glad to see 
that presidents and chancellors are concerned about their health and their safety and, and the health and safety of their instructors. But they're very concerned about the effect this will have on their grades, about the type of online classroom they're entering. And they're also concerned about the technology that will be available to some of their less fortunate classmates, those students who can't easily move online, they're a little concerned about how they'll be able to access high-speed internet or access classes without a laptop or computer readily available. Ashley, just one last question. Did you come across anything that you felt was particularly useful in terms of providing guidance to instructors who are doing this and perhaps may not be that experienced in in, uh, online instruction? Yes, I thought that uh, any type of training or approach that deals with holding a student's attention, holding students' attention for longer online is very different than in the classroom. And so there are some tips out there. The Pointer Institute recently held a webinar that helps instructors to better engage with their students online, which is very different than the way you would engage with students in person. One other piece of advice I've seen out there is that the way that an instructor holds eye contact over uh, a video chat or online is very different than the way that they would make eye contact in person. And so there's all of these very personable, social type of changes that can have a larger impact on your teaching than, say, the types of assignments or assessments that you put online. And I think that that is some of the best advice that I've seen out there, just how can you be more personable and engaging to your students. And uh, that advice is on the Pointer Institute website. And we'll Put that on our website accompanying this podcast so people can find that. Well, thank you so much, Ashley, and uh, look forward to getting more tips from you on how colleges can traverse this new online landscape. Thanks, Lewis. Well, we're very pleased to have on the line Jen Stringer. She is Deputy Chief Information Officer at UC Berkeley and has got a big job on her hands as UC Berkeley and well, quite a few other campuses are going to online instruction in response to the coronavirus. Welcome, Jen. I'm happy to be here. So let me just ask you, first of all, how prepared is the campus to handle this huge shift in instruction? How prepared are you? The first thing that I do want to make sure that people understand is that our campus is not closed. Our campus is open. And most of our instruction is taking place uh, using what we're calling alternative modalities. So when we use the term online, I think we just need to be thoughtful because what we're really doing is encouraging instructors to offer remote and alternative modalities for the instruction that they normally would have delivered face-to-face in a lecture hall. Jen, I did see the term instructional resilience. Yes. on your website. What is that? Well, that was the term we coined. So you asked about how prepared we are. And um, I think maybe many of your listeners might have heard about the fact that we had a tremendous number of power shutdowns on the campus just this past fall. And that meant that we actually did not have instruction happening for several days this past fall. Because of that, We actually started what we called an instructional resilience task force 
to begin to prepare because we know that climate change is real and that um, we were going to need to prepare for those kinds of power shutdowns potentially again the following year. So we sort of had a little bit of a head start and we'd already been talking to faculty and working with faculty on thinking about how we would prepare, what the potential right modalities were, how we were going to communicate to faculty and students about this. And so we had a bit of a head start. But I would say that that didn't mean that we were prepared for this, which is really different in that regard. And so what we've asked faculty to do is to basically not teach face-to-face -face lectures. We're not being prescriptive. So yes, we're using Zoom, and yes, we're using our learning management system, which is Canvas, and we refer to it as B-courses. Let me just ask you about that. This course capture, and, and you refer to it as Canvas, a lot of universities are using that platform. Is that correct? That is true. Canvas is a well-used platform. Our course capture system is actually something that we've had for a long time that enables faculty to request that their courses be captured automatically. So we're using a variety of modalities. We've got our course capture system, which actually has both lectures from this year, but previous lectures, potentially, from previous years of that same content. Those are lectures that have already been recorded and that they could then put up again. They are lectures that have already been recorded or a faculty member could actually walk into the room right now and deliver a lecture live that they would then be recorded and posted automatically to B-courses. Or they could choose to use Zoom and deliver that same content either from an empty lecture hall or from the quiet of their home or their office. And that could be synchronous, where students could actually engage and interact with the faculty member and ask questions real time. Have you any sense of what percentage of instructors and professors have done online in the past and are really ready for this, and what percentage you know, will be struggling through this? I don't know that um, faculty who have done online in the past are any more adept or less adept than faculty who have not done it at all. When you think about fully online courses, that is really a completely different modality than what we're asking faculty to do here. Those are usually um, highly edited. We spend a lot of time on them. We create entire you know, course pathways for online courses. And so that's really different than asking a faculty member to change their modality midstream. And what I would also say is a faculty member could choose, instead of streaming a lecture, to ask students to review other content and then create an online chat session for them to respond using their TAs or a uh, facilitated group chat as an alternative modality. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. And what I'm incredibly impressed with is how creative our faculty members are being right now about what alternative modalities mean. And they're actually, I think, being creative and risk-taking in the way they're thinking about delivering the content that they normally would have delivered by lecture. 
And so you don't just see everyone rushing to deliver that same lecture in an online format. They're really being creative and thinking about, you know, what do the students really need to hear from me? What can I do with alternative readings and other sources? What can I do in an online facilitated environment where I'm bringing students in to have conversations with me real time or my TAs? So I, it's a lot of different ways that faculty are addressing it. And it really is not a one-size-fits-all. We're talking with Jen Stringer. She's Deputy Chief Information Officer at UC Berkeley. So let me just ask you, though, we've talked a lot about whether the professors are prepared, but are the students prepared? And what is your general sense about how, you know, what is lost by not having students in the classroom? So our students are very facile with technology, as I'm sure most people would assume. I think that the preparation from this perspective is much more about understanding what the expectations are going to be, rather than are they prepared to engage in, in new technologies or in alternative modalities. They're really concerned about how am I going to be graded? Is my lab going to count as an in-person sort of, you know, wet lab experience? And honestly, you know, they're worried about their own health and well-being, which is the thing that we are the most worried about here on campus and, and working toward, which is to ensure that we're protecting the campus community and the broader community and their health and safety, right? So I think that, you know, when we're talking about, you know, are students prepared to go online, it's really much more about, you know, how are we supporting our students in navigating this challenging time? So I'm just wondering whether this is a grand experiment. I mean, has this been done on this scale at all at UC Berkeley in the past? Well, I think that it's a grand experiment with all of our colleagues across the United States and even across the globe that are making decisions to deliver instruction in a different way and, you know, really thinking about how to increase social distancing between our students and in some cases are shutting campuses down, although that's not what we've done here at the moment. I feel like it's a grand experiment in higher education. And in some ways, what we will learn in terms of how we have had to completely rethink how we, and I'm going to use the word, do business on our campus. And by business, I mean how we conduct teaching and research on a campus when we have these kinds of challenges I believe it really could change the landscape of higher education once we sort of move out of crisis mode and move into lessons learned mode. I believe that some pretty interesting and amazing things are going to come out of the lessons learned that might really change how we do business in in higher ed, particularly as an R1 you know, public research institution. Are you having uh, sleepless nights right now? Like, are you in a state, and you and your colleagues in a state of kind of high anxiety about, <laughs> is this going to work? Or, uh, you know, what's your general state? Of, what's your general mood at the moment? You know, honestly, I think everybody here on the campus, including myself, our, our top priority is the health and safety of the UC Berkeley community and the, the larger community. And if I'm going to lose sleep over anything, it's about ensuring health and safety. I have to say that from a technology perspective, 
I'm not as worried about whether or not we can handle remote learning. I do think this is a huge sort of you know, paradigm shift. And it's really a lot more about being supportive of them as they are trying new things. And so I think that that's really where our focus is. But our primary focus is really on keeping people safe and healthy. Well, thank you so much. Uh, We've been talking with Jen Stringer. She's the Deputy Chief Information Officer at UC Berkeley. Uh, Best of luck with your efforts, and uh, we'll hope to check back with you as to how it is going. Thank you very much, and I hope everyone stays healthy. We did go to the campus to find out how things are playing out for students. Let's hear from Mel Russo, a Cal student majoring in astrophysics and electrical engineering and computer science. Wow, John, that's... uh, Quite an impressive array of majors there. She did talk with our producer, Kobe MacDonald, for a few minutes, and uh, this is what she had to say. How has the suspension of classes impacted you? First of all, it's scary. I think just the fact that campus is empty and people are leaving just kind of gives this apocalyptic vibe around the atmosphere. Um, But otherwise, it's just a little stressful. I've had my midterms canceled, others postponed. So it's just scary and stressful. How do you feel about the communication from the administration to students? I'd say, first off, it was clear We had our chancellor send out an email first to all the workers and then to all the students. So the message was clear. I think on a more narrow scale, for example, I'm heading to my French class, which I don't know if it's happening or not because I wasn't properly communicated um, whether it will be suspended, whether it be online anywhere. So I definitely personally see some room for improvement, but I did get a clear message from the chancellor. Uh, Have all of your classes been canceled? It seems as of right now, every single one of my classes will be online. And so what that means in terms of midterms is that the midterm I had this week was canceled and the midterm I had next week was postponed till after spring break. So the worrisome thing about that is that, you know, if the school shut down or online for now, who's to say it's going to come back? You know, why would we come back to school? Are we really going to take those midterms after break, for example? Um, So when it comes to departments like physics and math where um, things are proof-based and very easy to cheat on, professors are hesitant to send us take-home exams. So this could be like a real problem because if we can't take it in school, you know, how are we going to administer tests at all? Have you actually taken any classes online yet? Yes, I actually took my first 8 a.m. class today over Zoom, which is the application we're using for the online lectures. Um, My opinion on it was that it was sufficiently awkward, um, as there weren't as many students in attendance as there usually are in person, of course. And so the professor is just talking to himself with a blackboard behind him, like facing a bunch of black screens. Um, I think it's just very impersonal, and we'll see how it turns out. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Well, John, this is obviously a fast-moving challenge facing the state, and we at its source are and will be covering it closely. We have a team of reporters covering it thoroughly, and with the latest updates about school closings and questions listeners may have about the coronavirus itself. So please go to our website for more information. And that wraps it up for this week's podcast. Thanks to our sponsors, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Our producer is Kobe MacDonald. Thanks, Kobe. Our music is from Nate Schwartz Jazz Orchestra and Ed Source's own Justin Allen. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Stay safe. Stay safe.